0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So many of you know, uh, Pastor Micah returns to us this coming Sunday, we'll be back in the office tomorrow, uh, which we're very excited about. But in the last few weeks, we've had the opportunity to host a number of wonderful guests uh, to teach us and to lead us in a time of scripture and, and study. And uh, this week, we have uh, the wonderful Katie Sanders from Upper Room. And Katie and I met uh, just recently. Uh, we were doing a wedding together. I was doing the music, and she was officiating. Uh, And in the brief time that I've known Katie, I can already just see she has a heart of kindness and a generous spirit and is a gifted teacher, and we're so honored to have her with us this morning. So would you please welcome Katie Sanders. Thank you. It is um, a gift to be here with you this morning. Uh, I haven't done morning church in a really long time, so (laughs) it's kind of fun to get up and get the day started. (laughs) Although I do have a one-year-old, so there is no more sleeping in. No more. Um, I've always had a special place for this community in my heart. Um, Cheering you on from the sidelines, uh, Micah and I met back in 2001. We were both wide-eyed youth pastors with a lot more energy than we have today. Um, But I remember meeting at a caribou, and we were talking about what does it look like for us to best love the people entrusted into our care and 16, year later, 16 years later, Micah's still asking that question. What does it look like to best love the people and trust into my care? And I'm really thankful for his example in my life. Um, but I've had the opportunity to teach at Awaken a couple times in the distant past, so I feel like I need to give a shout-out to the Joke Joint. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while, but um, I love that place. So, and both times I spoke, I was assigned a text, And both times, I was like, seriously, this is what I have to teach on? So hard. Like, it was, there were really difficult texts. And so I just remember wrestling through these passages and asking God um, both times, like, what is your word for your people at Awaken? And it's amazing what happened. Because I think for both of those messages, I experienced a bit of a marking moment in my own life, um, a turning point around the way i relate to god and his story and so it's interesting how those two particular messages have become incredibly fundamental um, in my own journey so um, today i in preparing for today i started the same way i said god what is your word for your people to awaken this morning um and so in some ways i feel like i'm here to remind you of something that you already know um, and so we'll see what happens. But if you're new, Awaken is walking through the Narrative Lectionary, um, which is a four-year cycle of readings through Scripture that followed the biblical story from creation to the early church. And so our text for this morning comes from Jeremiah 29, and I would wager it contains one of the top ten most quoted verses of our generation from Scripture, uh, Jeremiah 29:11. Maybe you recall this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a verse brimming with promise and hope. It's a verse we find written on graduation cards, tattooed maybe on a wrist. Anybody have a tattoo with Jeremiah 29? Um, I did a Google search. There were a lot. Um, Painted on barnwood. I you see this verse everywhere. And I remember I mem I memorized this verse when I was in high school, and um, in a series of verses, I remember on like God's promises. Um, And I've called it to mind hundreds of times over the last 20 years. And, um, when our son was born last December, a friend gifted us this little swaddle blanket. So here's Henry wrapped up in his little scripture swaddle, and he's not that tiny anymore. Um, and while I believe these words, I believe this promise for my son, and I believe these words for all of us who pray these, this prayer, I want to suggest to you this morning that I think that there's so much more going on in this verse. These words were written at a specific time, for a specific purpose, and not merely to an individual who was in need of hope, but to a specific people who were on the brink of absolute despair. So our text this morning is Jeremiah 29, verse 1, and then verses 4 through 14. First an intro verse, then a little context, and then we'll jump into the heart of the text. So the intro. This is this, sorry. This is 29 verse 1. This is the text of a letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. A little context, some backstory. Why are the Israelites exiled in Babylon? It's a longer story than we have time to really get into today. But long story short, the Israelites had abandoned God over and over again, offered sacrifices to other gods over and over again, worshiped the works of their own hands, and they defiled and corrupted the land that God had given them. Things were not going well. And we find the Israelites asking questions like, why has the Eternal One done this to us? Or why would our one true God treat us this way? God speaks through Jeremiah, the Lord's prophet, saying, because you have rejected me, and bowed down, bow, bow down to foreign gods in a land that was yours, you will now bow down to a foreign people in a land that is not yours. The people of God have been carried into exile. And to be honest, it's really easy to read these words from Jeremiah 29 and not really put ourselves in this story. But let's try to do that for a minute. Regardless of the circumstances that brought them there, who was at fault? Jeremiah is still writing to a people, to a community that has lost everything. These words from Psalm 137 give us a small glimpse of their despair. We won't read the whole psalm, but I will let you know that as it goes on, it gets very dark. Julia O'Brien, who's a professor um, at Lancaster Theological Seminary, explains this psalm clearly reflects the dislocation and trauma of the Babylonian exile and the writer is attempting to bring his pain to God perhaps Psalm 137 can invite us to bring all of ourselves to our faith not just our best selves by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we thought of Zion our home so far away on the branches of the willow trees we hung our harps and hid our hearts from the enemy And the men that surrounded us made demands that we clap our hands and sing songs of joy from days gone by, songs from Zion, our home. Such cruel men taunted us, haunted our memories. How could we sing a song about the eternal in a land so foreign while still tormented, broken-hearted, homesick? Please don't make us sing the song. When we read Jeremiah 29... This is their present reality. Tormented, brokenhearted, they're homesick, traumatized, dislocated. And yet God has a word for his people and it's brimming with promise and hope. So now for the heart of the text, starting in verse four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. "'Plans to prosper you and not harm you, "'plans to give you a hope and a future. "'Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, "'and I will listen to you. "'You will seek me and find me "'when you seek me with all your heart. "'I will be found by you,' declares the Lord, "'and I will bring you back from captivity. "'I will gather you from all nations and places "'where I have banished you,' declares the Lord, "'and I will bring you back to the place "'from which I carried you into exile.'" These words were written at a specific time for a specific purpose to a specific people. And yet I think they still hold significance for us today. A few things stuck out to me in spending time with this passage the last couple weeks. Um, I say this every time I teach, (laughs) I promise you. You could do a three-week series, a five-week series just on Jeremiah 29. There's so much going on here. We don't have time to dive into all of it today, but a few observations The false prophets had told them to not make peace with their captivity, but here Jeremiah is telling them to do the very opposite. And God is never in a hurry, 70 years. There are people who likely didn't live to see the restoration God had promised. But God says, keep living, not to hit pause. Keep experiencing life to the full. Marriages and babies are cause for celebration. Yes, there is sorrow, but there could also be great joy. And the call to seek shalom for all, especially the ones that Israelites consider their captors. Seek the shalom of the city and you will have shalom, completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. So a few questions come to mind just at this initial reading, are there circumstances in our lives that we need to make peace with? Are there situations that would make us literally want to hit pause? And what would it look like to hold both the sorrow and the joy in that same moment? How am I seeking shalom for my city? How am I seeking shalom for those I hold resentment toward? There's a lot in those questions, but I would invite you to take some time the next few days to think about that. But there were two things that I could not shake when I sat with this text, and I wanted to share those two things with you this morning. The first thing that struck me about this passage, um, and I think I I knew this before, but I don't know that I've actually ever considered it and sat with it, but it's, it's the simple fact that these words were not written to an individual. These words were written to a group of people, to God's people. The you is much better translated, the collective you, you all. And to be honest, the more time I spend studying scripture, the more and more convinced I become that we have lost our way when it comes to thinking in terms of the whole. This past summer, I had the realization um, I was preparing for a message at, for Upper Room, and I had a realization that all my years of teaching at Upper Room, and I've been there, I've been there for 12 years, and I've been probably teaching for uh, maybe nine, um, but I couldn't recall one message that was to the church, to the group, to the whole. I mean, yes, I'm teaching the church when I teach, but my messages were often about how can we care for our individually care for our souls, or how can we individually carve out rhythms of Sabbath and rest, or how can we individually trust in the goodness of God. And I suppose we all have a bit of that rugged American individualism ingrained in us. I love being independent. Um, that has been stripped since I had a baby last year. I, I, um, I have to ask for help and sometimes it pains me. Um, my husband deserves a little applause this morning for rocking with Henry the last three days so I could prepare for this. But I, um, I, I think we're, very, we're a very independent people. But over one third of the books from the New Testament are, are letters written to churches, to groups of people And I think these churches, I would imagine, are in a lot of ways very different than the church that's gathered here today, but in similar ways too. I think gatherings of Jesus followers who are trying um, to find their way in the world, to navigate what it looks like to love their neighbors and care for orphans and widows and foreigners, to raise their children in such ways that they trust in the unconditional love of God, trying to emulate the life of Jesus in ways that bring healing and reconciliation and hope together as a community. But somewhere along the way, our journey with Jesus became about personal growth, individual sins, individual repentance, personal devotions and times of prayer, small group Bible studies and accountability partners. And not that any of those things in and of themselves are bad, but I wonder if they're just part of the equation. And I think this passage is once again reminding us that God thinks in terms of the well-being of the whole. And I wonder if he might be inviting us and our churches into changing the way we think. So some questions. Have you ever thought about these words from Jeremiah in in terms of the whole? Or consider that these promises are for the entirety of God's community? So letting the word together bind and seal these words Listen to part of today's text again. I took a few liberties. But what if we read the text more like this? I will come to my people and fulfill my good promise to bring all of you together back to this place. For I know the thoughts I think toward my children, declares the Lord, thoughts of shalom and not of raw evil. For all, for all, intentions to give you a hopeful end together that altogether you will call on me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me as one. When you find me, and you when you find me, when you seek me with all your hearts united, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So as I sat in this text and I asked God the question, "What word do you have for your people at awaken this morning?" I felt like He posed another question in return. And that's this. Awaken. What is God's collective future hope for you? What is God's collective future hope for you? Now, I want to pause here and offer a little bit of a disclaimer. This might be a daunting question, especially in light of your current circumstances, your current reality. The truth is, it's impossible not to acknowledge that your community is facing its own unique story right now. Um, Mike is not with us this morning. But your story is not one of geographical exile, but it is, one of, it is one of loss, one of heartache, one of questions. And some of you in this room might even use words like trauma and dislocation. I don't think we would do the text or your journey, your community's journey, Justice, by trying to draw a line for line parallel between your story and Jeremiah's letter. But I do think there are some overlaps and some questions that arise that are similar questions and some eternal echoes of hope for all of us gathered here today. So while this isn't a letter to awaken in 2017, it does hold some truth for us today. I was sharing with Jenna earlier, it makes me feel kind of silly to be standing here because I think some of the things I'm sharing, I know you already know. I had the chance to listen to your community meeting from a few uh, weeks back and um, I was deeply moved. I had to like pull the car over at one point. (laughs) I was deeply moved by your humility, your questions, your seeking to understand, your authenticity. You are seeking God. You are already asking questions about God's collective future hope for you as Christ followers. So my hope and my prayer is that you see today's text um, as an invitation and not a burden An opportunity to partner with God, as you say in your mission statement, for the renewal of all things. To partner with God, moving forward together. And maybe this has something to do with your current chapter and what you're facing, but maybe it's about something entirely different, God's future hope. I don't know. But I do think this text offers an invitation for you to keep wrestling together, keep seeking to understand together, keep asking questions together, and keep moving forward together in love. This text is not about avoiding. It's about thriving in the midst of less than desirable circumstances. This text is not about individuals, but about a community of people. And this text is not about giving up, but about holding hope. And that's the second thing that I couldn't shake when thinking about these words. The reality of our future hope. A hopeful end is better translated and maybe I'm here today just to remind you that, that this other thing is true, that God is just getting started. He who began a good work in you is going to carry it out to completion. We know that to be true. The word hope in this passage is a Hebrew word, tikvah. And we see this word tikvah in places like Psalm 62. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. This word appears about 33 times in the Old Testament. Um, but I think you've learned here at Awaken that it's always worth going back to the first mentioning of a word, and so I wanted to do that this morning. Um, the first time we see this word, tikvah, is in Joshua chapter 2. It's the story of Rahab and the spies, and if you're not familiar with it, I think it's one of the most movie-like scenes in all of scripture. It's very on the edge of your seat. When we come to this story, Rahab, um, a story of Rahab, the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, And God is about to deliver his promise to bring them into the land. So Joshua sends two spies out to look over the land, especially the city of Jericho. Jericho was the most heavily fortified city in all of Canaan. But if the Israelites could conquer it, the whole land would be before them. So the spies enter Jericho, and they end up at the home of Rahab. Now, some of you might know, but Rahab is a prostitute. So why would they end up there? I read one scholar who thought they likely ended up there because it's the kind of place where no questions are asked in return. You just show up and no one says anything. So they did some spying, some investigating, and the king of Jericho finds out um, that spies have entered the city. He sends word to Rahab to bring out the men. But here's where the story gets good. She hides the spies. She lies to the king, and says they don't know where they are. When the coast is clear, she goes to the spies, and this is what she has to say. I know... That the Lord has given you this land. And that a great fear, has fallen, a fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Oh, sorry. iPad. Okay. We have heard of it and our hearts melted in fear. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And then she makes this very bold request Save me, save my family, show us this kindness. And the men actually assure her, the two spies say, Our lives for yours. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she lets them down by a rope out of her window and they escape. But as they leave, they say, This oath made us swear, that you made us swear, will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into your house. So Rahab agrees and says, let it be as you say. She sends them away, and as they depart, she ties the scarlet cord in her window. After three days, the spies return to Joshua and have this to say, the Lord has surely given us the whole land. The people are melting in fear because of us, and the rest we know as history. The Israelites miraculously cross the Jordan River, Similar to the Red Sea, God cuts off the waters. They walk across dry land. They take the city of Jericho in this famous Sunday school tale, marching around the city for six days. On the seventh day, they march around the city seven times, and then there's a huge trumpet blast, and the walls come tumbling down. The entire city is destroyed, but Rahab and her family are spared. Maybe you're wondering where hope is actually shows up in this story. I don't think the word hope is ever spoken. But it's secret. It shows up secretly and in a really beautiful way. And unless you're a nerd like me and does the Hebrew word study, you may never find the word hope. Um, But before the spies depart, Rahab says, let it be as you say. And she ties the scarlet cord in her window. And this word, cord, is the Hebrew word tikva, So it means cord, but it also means hope and expectation, the hope for things to come. Rahab let her hope in God resound more loudly than her doubt and fear. And she had every reason to be terrified that this would not go well. Her life was literally on the line, and yet she ties a cord and hangs it out her window and it's literally a symbol of hope. When I think about this idea of holding hope, here's what I know. I have experientially learned the beauty and pain of holding hope as an individual. In the midst of our very long journey with infertility, in the midst of learning how to grieve some very tragic and unexpected losses in my family, and wrestling to trust in the goodness of God in the midst of despairing circumstances, I feel like I have been schooled in learning how to hold hope But if I were to be honest, I'm not sure that I know how to do that collectively. And maybe that's something that we're all going to learn. But I, so I've been wondering at the invitation today, and this is my last question for you to consider is, what does it look like for you to hold hope together? I think the text gives us some clues. As you hold hope together, you wait expectantly. The timing of Advent's arrival feels so fitting with this particular text. Advent is a season of expectant waiting. We wait for God to deliver on his promise. And as we wait, we seek. We seek God. We seek shalom. We seek completeness, soundness, welfare, peace for all. We keep living and refuse to hit the pause button. We trust in a God who is a God of redemption working all things for good. And then I start to wonder, maybe just being on this journey together is actually the point. Learning to hold hope together is actually the point. And maybe learning how to partner with God for his collective good is the good. And perhaps I'm here today to simply remind you of what you already know to be true, that God is just getting started. In Hebrew, there's a root word for the word plans, And it has this image of something being plated or woven together. And I think about that image, that God is just getting started. He is weaving together a collective future hope for this community. And I have no doubt that it's going to be beautiful and redemptive and bursting with shalom. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for the space to gather this morning and pause. I thank you for this community and for all the hearts represented in this place. God, I thank you for their collective journey. And God, I thank you that you have promised that no eye has seen and no mind has conceived and no ear has heard what you have in store. And so I pray for good to come to this place. And, God, that you would use Awaken to move your world in good ways. Thank you for your faithfulness to us as individuals, and thank you for your faithfulness to us as the whole. We love you. Amen. And this morning we're going to close by receiving communion. And at Awaken, how we do it here is you're you're going to come forward from the sides, and we're going to have three stations. Um, And at each station you will have the option of red wine, or white grape juice and the station off to my right is going to be gluten-free. And before you come, we're going to invite our children up to receive a blessing and to receive um, a little bite of honey, a taste of honey. And the blessing may the Word of God be like honey on your lips. But as you come forward, we're going to do a little something extra in addition to communion this morning. So in front of the servers, I'm going to have a little table. Um, and On this table you'll find some scissors and a spool of scarlet ribbon, if you wish, cut a piece. Tie it on your rearview mirror. Put it in your Bible. Tie it to your keys. I have a little piece um, that's tied to like my laundry room shelf because I do laundry every day, and um, it's just a great—it's a great place to see and be reminded. But may this little piece of tikva remind you to keep wrestling together, to keep seeking together keep asking questions together, and to keep moving forward together in love. And may this little piece of to remind you of the hope we have in God, a God who is a God of redemption, who is weaving together a future hope, not just for Awaken, but for his world. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with some of his closest friends, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks for it and said, this is my body. And then he got up a little while later from the meal, and he took a cup, and he says, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant, the blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of many. And he tells his followers to, to eat this bread and drink this cup, and when we do, to remember the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, who is our hope. Amen. Now for a benediction, Awaken community. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for shalom and not for evil. Plans to give you a hopeful end. Go in this promise. Amen. You can find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community. Or on Twitter at Community. See you next time.